And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Derek Van Riper here with Al Melchior, and we are breaking down the waiver wire again on this Sunday. It's funny how the the ebbs and flows of the season uh, lead us to some weeks where there are actually quite a few hitters to think about. There are some weeks where there are basically none. Uh, Some weeks we're chasing a bunch of relievers. Other weeks there are none. This is definitely a hitter-heavy sort of week as uh, we put the rundown together today, Al. And I'm looking at a few different guys as possible impact players in a lot of different formats. And I think we got to start with Mike Talkman, who is also crossing over leagues with the move from the Yankees to the Giants earlier this week. How are you handling Talkman in various formats? If you are in an NL-only league where he just surfaced in the pool, is he enough of a difference maker to consider using a significant share of your fab budget to pick him up? I think so, DVR, uh, just because of the nature of NL-only leagues where usually if you can just find somebody who not only has a chance at some pretty regular playing time, but you know has a, a decent skill set, uh, you're just not going to find other than, you know, like at the trade deadline, you're just not going to find a lot of uh, players like that in season. So yeah, for, for somebody like Talkman in an NL-only, I'm probably going like 15% of, of my fab budget uh, to, to try to get them. Yeah, I think that's the the range that I'm starting at, depending on the current state of my team. If I'm really hurting for offensive counting stats, then maybe I can put a couple extra dollars in there. But I think 15% is generally a good target for that format. I think the other question, though, is what do you do with them in mixed leagues? What's the cutoff? What types of leagues is he viable in? He has started three consecutive games entering Sunday, and one of those was against the lefty. The Giants dropped him in the batting order. I think that was against Blake Snell on Saturday night. So do you see him as an everyday guy, or do you see him as more of a big side platoon guy who will occasionally get those opportunities against Southpaws? I think the latter. Uh, and and for that reason, I'm really not looking at him in in my mixed leagues. I, I don't have, well, it's not true. I was going to say, I don't have any that are deeper than 15 teams this year, but I, I am in a 2014 mixed league that, for all intents and purposes, kind of operates like an only um, because of it's so deep and there's so little on waivers. So, I mean, when you ask me, you know, what the cutoff is, it's definitely something bigger than 15 teams because I just like the options uh, other than Talkman, or at least some of the options uh, that are out there better than him for steadier playing time. And I, I, I do question how the skills will translate to Oracle Park. Yeah, it's a lefty who... Of course, gets that boost at Yankee Stadium. He's getting the opposite, uh, being in San Francisco for half of his games now. So I have the cutoff at, at a 15-team league. I think in a league like that, you could spend 2 or 3% of your budget if you think the playing time is going to be there. I think at a 12, he's the kind of guy that maybe I'd only pick up for road trip weeks in Colorado and, and the occasional spots like that. He might be more of a streamer for me in a format like that. 
Uh, but let's get to another player in the NL West who really has started to wake up after a slow start, and that's Josh Rojas. And Rojas was pretty popular as a late draft season sleeper. Didn't hit much to begin the season, but he just homered in his third consecutive game on Saturday in a 14-6 loss to the Rockies. Pretty wild game there. Uh, but we're seeing the Rojas that many people expected. They've got a bunch of injuries in that lineup right now in Arizona. So in leagues where Rojas was dropped, are you back in in that similar mid-range size mixed league? I I suppose so. If you're going to say, you know, mid-range, I'd say he's borderline at best for those types of leagues. And the reason why, I mean, I've I've kind of changed my my tune on Rojas a little bit because certainly I remember when he got uh, traded to Arizona, there was a lot of buzz. People were hoping he would, you know, make an impact really, really quickly because you look at the minor league stats and you see somebody who's got uh, a power speed combo with good plate discipline. And I think that the plate discipline could, you know, avail itself at some point. Uh, you know, we uh, haven't really seen the stolen bases from him. And the power I'm really starting to question because he really established those power credentials in the PCL in 2019. And, you know, <laughs> lather, rinse, repeat. I mean, every time we talk about that scenario, it's, you know, the the extreme rabbit ball. So I'm I'm more of a Rojas skeptic at this point. Yeah, I mean, you look at the underlying numbers. He is patient kind of strikes out a little more than you'd expect for a guy with that patience, right around 25% now for his career. Barrel rates just kind of okay, 4.8% thus far. So I I see more of a super utility guy than an everyday impact player, even though the minor league numbers are good. And I think you're right to point out that 2019 at AAA, you really can't count it for hitters and you really can't count it for pitchers because there's some extreme lines really for, for all different players. From that season, uh, another NL West target potentially though is Jonathan Daza. He started ten of the Rockies' last eleven games, entering Sunday. I keep looking at him and thinking I wouldn't have any interest in him at all if he weren't a member of the Rockies. And I don't even know how much that helps him because he leans pretty heavily towards a ground ball profile, and you know how no matter how thin the air is, <laughs> that's not going to really <laughs> change things that much. But it, it's funny because when we were talking about Mike Talkman and you know, where the, the kind of the threshold is for him. I thought of Jonathan Daza, and Daza because um, I actually did pick him up in that 2014 league this week because he was like the only guy out there um, getting regular playing time. So that's kind of my level of interest in Daza. If, if I'm in a league where I really need an outfielder who plays pretty regularly, um, you know, he's, I hate to put it this way, but he's, he's that warm body that fills that roster spot. And I, I think there is certainly batting average upside there, um, a little bit of a line drive hitter, maybe gets a little bit of a Babbitt uh, boost from cores, but I'm really not expecting anything else from Daza. I mean, I'm the kind of person who's not really that much of a believer in Rymel Tapia. So for me to take a guy that's less skilled than Tapia and believe is it's a pretty big leap. So. Uh, I'm looking at the schedule, though, for this week. They do have three at home against the Giants before going to St. Louis on the road. So at least you do get a little bit of run of playing time in Coors. The following week, seven home games at Coors Field for the Rockies. So if you've got a spot on the back of your bench that you're thinking about uh, maybe stashing a hitter on, well, look at some of the other Rockies' bats with those matchups against the Padres and Reds coming up next week in Colorado. Let's get to Nico Horner. I believe Frank Stample and I talked about him at the end of last week's show when there really weren't a lot of hitters to bid on. And 
you know, with Horner, I think there's a chance that he just sticks and takes over the second base job from David Bodie. I know they've moved Horner around a little bit as well. Off to a pretty nice start so far in his first 10 games, hitting 375 with a 487 OBP and a 531 slug. The question has always been game power. And I don't know if we're going to get that anytime soon. But if you want to look at Nico Horner and tell me that, you know, maybe you end up with a, a David Fletcher type player over the course of the season, I think that's at least possible. I do, I do too, uh, at least just in terms of stats. I mean, he's Fletcher esque without the, uh, the, you know, multi positional eligibility. And he's kind of like Nick Madrigal and Nicky Lopez without the stolen base potential. So. You know, I yeah, I think you're right that he has a really good shot to get regular playing time, and I, I certainly think there's a lot more here than there is for you know somebody like Daza or maybe even like Talkman. But yeah, I still would like to see more power from Horner. Yeah, so I just see him as a guy that has a difficult time making an impact in a 12-team league because he doesn't steal enough bases or hit for enough power to make a difference in those categories. But the short-term value could be. Horner finding his way to the top of that Cubs lineup, hitting for a good average, being a nice source of runs scored. That could be the area where he helps us out the most. Uh, let's talk about Sam Haggerty. It seems like we're always waiting for the great prospects in Seattle to come up, and we end up talking about guys like Haggerty, and last year it was Dylan Moore. And there's power, and there's speed, and I'm not really sure what you're going to get to go along with it, but... It's a shaky plate skills profile, but if you just need someone to plug in, this is kind of like the inverse player of, of Jonathan Daza, where you know, Daza is going to hit for average and not much else. Well, Sam Haggerty might get you some power and some speed and not put a whole lot next to it. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. And the thing is that he does have the potential to contribute to enough categories that I have some interest in him in 15-team leagues as, a, as opposed to Daza. So... Uh, it, it's a profile that certainly in leagues that are shallower than that, it's not really hard to find. But in 15 teamers, uh, especially the steals, uh, you know, I, I'd be willing to, you know, put a, down two or three dollars or two or three percent of uh, of Fab to just hope that maybe he can stay uh, in the lineup uh, longer term and uh, pile up some steals. Yeah, I think that's the best appeal of Sam Haggerty at this point, but I could see things getting really complicated as they bring more and more young talent up on to that roster. Uh, Isan Diaz is back up with the Marlins, and I, I know we, we just talked about 2019 and AAA and how those numbers really don't mean a whole lot. I think when you are looking at those numbers, the, the column you want to look at if you use fan graphs to pull stats is you want to look at the WRC+, plus because you want... You want to know what the overall offensive performance of a player was within the context of that league and that run environment. And WRC Plus scratches that itch. And with all the wild stuff that was happening in 2019 at AAA, Isan Diaz was 32% better than a league average hitter. A 132 WRC Plus. He hit for average. He drew walks. He showed power. He stole a few bases. I mean, 26 homers in 102 games. That's a ton of power. Even if you go through the process of saying, yeah, okay, maybe twice as much power as he actually had because of the ball in the league. He was still on pace to be maybe a high teens, low 20s home run guy over a longer season. So I'm just curious if you still have some interest in Diaz as someone that has been able to produce at the highest level of the minor leagues and just hasn't been able to translate that yet at the big league level. 
I, I do. I think, you know, 15 teamers, uh, 14, 15 teamers. I think that's a, a reasonable spot to try to pick Diaz up in, in second base. It's just, it's still, it's every bit as shallow as we thought it would be going into this year, at least so far. So even though Diaz hasn't really shown it at the major league level, um, you know, might as well take the flyer on him because you know, who else is, is out there? Um, there's, there's really not very many appealing options. Uh, if you need to fill a second base hole. Yeah, I actually think Diaz could could be a better fantasy player than Nico Horner. I don't want to pay more for Diaz than Horner, though. I think you're you're taking on a lot of risk with Diaz because he could just as easily end up back at AAA in the next few weeks as that Marlins roster gets a little bit healthier. Uh, let's talk about Daniel Vogelback for a moment because speaking of AAA, I get the sense that Keston Hira might be finding his way down to Nashville once minor league games begin. The season begins on Tuesday. If you've watched Hira's plate appearances in recent weeks, I mean, the high fastball problem that he's always had is still there. He's chasing sliders down and away repeatedly. It, it is unfortunate because I think there is a, a talented hitter who can use the entire field and actually hit for power to all fields in that profile. But He's so lost right now that the Brewers have been sitting him in favor of Vogelback, and we know what Vogelback can do with playing time. It's low average, big power, and those types of players actually can be useful glue guys for the stretches when they they get that increase in playing time. It looks like that's exactly what's going to happen for Vogelback. Yeah. Um, again, I think you can probably find better versions of that skill set in, in 12 teamers, but 14, 15 teamers. Um, if you need power, if you're in an OBP league, uh, he he's definitely got some appeal and and could have some run there. Like you said, uh, you know, here has really struggled badly. Sort of to me, a little reminiscent of the the Rugnetto Door career trajectory, where it just seemed like he was going to do great things right away um, and has really stalled. So if it takes him a while to to get it together, um, yeah, Vogelback could really get some nice run and and really have some value. It's amazing, though. I mean. As excited as I am about him for cheap homers, it is a career 204, 327, 402 line for Vogelback. So I think you're right to say, you know, deeper mixed leagues, definitely not a guy you're plugging in for a 12 team league. And for all the things a team could need uh, as far as trade targets go, the Brewers are strange. They need help on the corners. Like it's one of the easier things to get. So I guess that's ultimately a good thing if you're in the position of David Stearns. Uh, Paven Smith was a popular pickup last weekend, still available in about 75% of CBS leagues entering the weekend. And I do like the way he controls the zone. The barrel rates are are somewhat intriguing for a very young player. Uh, Playing center field a bit, too, with Cattell Marte down. I don't know if that's really his long-term home at all, but uh, I love that he's getting this opportunity. And I'm just curious to know what you think about Paven Smith possibly holding on to regular playing time, even as the D-backs start to get healthier. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely that opportunity. And obviously, it's not a, a slam dunk. And he has to produce with, with this opportunities that he, he's been being given. But I've already tried to pursue him in uh, some leagues, including a 12-teamer. That, that's a deep 12-teamer. So it's in terms of the number of players roster in league. It's probably really more like a 14-teamer. But I, I think that's that's a sweet spot for Paven Smith, is Paven Smith, as long as you're not expecting a lot of power. Um, I think the power will be moderate for him. And like you said, that barrel rate, maybe that is a, a, a sign of, of better things to come in terms of home runs. But uh, yeah, otherwise, I, I think he's uh, somebody that's got to be added in 14 teamers and deeper. 
of all the hitters we've talked about so far, is he the best option of the bunch, or is he at least in the conversation for a spot at the top of that list? He's certainly the one I have been the most interested in up to this point. So I guess that that is a way of saying that, yeah, I think he's my favorite hitter right now out of this group. And we're still talking about pretty mild bids on this group as a whole. Even though we've got volume hitter-wise on the waiver wire this weekend, it's not necessarily a group that you have to go out and, and smash the old fab piggy bank to get into your uh, lineups. Uh, Kyle Higashioka has been taking on a slightly larger role with the Yankees. Lots of barrels in his limited playing time. That goes back you know, to last season and previous years as well. I think you've asked me about him before. I think on a fantasy baseball in 15, and I was skeptical that he was going to be able to maintain enough playing time to be viable outside of AL-only leagues. But you do get the sense that the Yankees are beginning to sour a little bit more on Gary Sanchez. And if that turns into something that looks like a more even split of playing time going forward... Maybe Higashioka ends up being useful in you know, two catcher mixed leagues as well. Oh yeah, I, I think maybe even more potential than that uh, is somebody who has um, uh, Travis Darno in the two catcher twelve team tout wars. Uh, Higashioka is probably my going to be my biggest fab target this weekend, looking for a replacement. The the power he's proven the power in previous seasons. So it's just a question of whether or not he can keep that strikeout rate down, and uh, you know he could wind up being. Uh, I, you know, I think given the depth of the catcher pool, I don't even think it's a stretch to say that rest of the season, maybe he, if he keeps the playing time, he, he reaches the top 12. Wow. I mean, the park helps, the lineup helps yeah. for sure. And the power, as we've said, has been proven. I, I do wonder about the hit tool. I wonder what the batting average looks like if he ends up being kind of a, uh, Daniel Vogel back behind the plate in terms of expectations, but that plays better behind the plate yes. than it plays at first base, and uh, Higashioka was under 20% rostered in CBS leagues entering the weekend, so I imagine he'll, he will be a popular pickup for people in your situation replacing Travis Darno or people that maybe punted that second catcher spot and are just looking to catch a little bit of lightning in a bottle. The other name that people would probably ask about here would be Dalton Varsho, and I like Dalton Varsho. I almost wonder if I like him more than the Diamondbacks like him, so... <sighs> I don't see a lot of appeal for him right now in the short term. I, I like him as more of a keeper and dynasty league sort of guy, but that's more for later this season or even for 2022 than it is for right now. And I think part of the problem here too, Carson Kelly's been outstanding. So for Varsho to play a lot, he has to play in the outfield. And while they've got a bunch of injuries right now, they're playing other guys in those spots. You know, We mentioned Paven Smith already. Uh, we're seeing Josh Rojas play a lot of right field because they've got Josh Van Meter playing second base. So even with a bunch of players down, Varsho is not a guy that they're leaning on right now. Yeah, and I just think that um, the signal that the Diamondbacks sent earlier, you know, coming out of spring training, and in fact, you know, we heard this uh, on Fantasy Baseball 15 uh, from Zach Buchanan, uh, you know, well before the end of spring training, that he was not really in the D-backs plans for uh, the, you know, opening day, you know, and, and maybe the beginning of the season, even a little beyond that. So I, I took that really seriously, and we saw it, come to fruition. And so given the depth that they have that you just outlined for us, DVR, I'm not counting on Varsho to get a whole lot of playing time. The window could be really small. The Diamondbacks have a pretty bad schedule this week for their hitters. And then beyond that, I'm not really sure how how big that window is. So basically, that's just a really long way of saying I'm really not interested. No, it would take, I think, a Carson Kelly injury for Dalton Varsho to become relevant outside of very deep NL only leagues at this point. So a much longer road to be productive than I had hoped, but 
Zach Buchanan warned us, like you said. And, uh, that series was really helpful. It definitely helped me avoid a few players that I liked, just getting some insight as to how they were maybe viewed internally by their respective teams. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. All right, Al, let's move on to the starting pitchers. We begin each and every week with two start pitchers, and we're going to start today with one who's rostered pretty heavily in most competitive leagues, most deeper leagues anyway, but maybe is still out there in some really thin leagues, like 10-team mixed leagues, and that's Waskar Enoa. He's got the Nationals and the Phillies, Nats on the road, Phillies at home, available in about a quarter of CBS leagues entering the weekend. Do you trust him in very shallow leagues at this point? Because Enoa is a guy that came out of relative nowhere for me. I had no expectations of him throwing meaningful innings in Atlanta's rotation this year. I thought guys like Bryce Wilson and Kyle Wright were pretty clearly ahead of him, but Enoa has been fantastic so far. He's got the ERA under three at 296, the whips at 0.91, 34 strikeouts against six walks this season. Does have a little bit of a home run issue, five homers allowed in 27 to third innings, but am I missing something here or is he actually shallow mixed league viable? Yeah, I've been slow to come around to Anoa. Um, I was, you know, skeptical after that first really good start, but at this point, it's I think you at least have to consider him among your options in, in ten teamers. And uh, you did mention the home run problem. I mean, really, the only thing I can look at, and granted, we're looking at just a handful of starts so far in the, uh, in the major leagues, but the one thing that you, you kind of want to shield your eyes before looking at it, you know, maybe just look between your fingers, is at the uh, that stat cast uh, table on fan graphs and particularly the hard hit and barrel rates. So it's... Um, you know, sort of what I think of as like the Robbie Ray profile or maybe the old Robbie Ray profile, but, you know, with with a better walk rate um, because he misses he's missing a lot of bats. But I still worry about hard contact being an issue for a Noah. So that that's what keeps him from being just kind of an automatic pickup, even in 10 teamers uh, for me this week. But, you know, look at your options, what what's out there, because he he might be the best one. Yeah, I'm looking at how he's doing this so far. It's mostly slider four-seamer. He throws those two pitches about 86% of the time combined. Does mix in some sinkers and change-ups, so it's not a particularly deep arsenal. I wonder if teams are just starting to get that book together on him now, even though he's getting those great results. Really only one bad outing the first time he faced the Cubs. He got knocked around pretty good, but he's been very good in every other start other than that. So 
I tend to think there's some correction coming here. I'm not crazy about these matchups. I don't trust them in shallow leagues against these two teams in particular. Weather's starting to warm up a bit all over the place. The ball's going to start to carry, especially in D.C. where that first matchup is. And maybe home against the Phillies if you're in a league with daily moves and you don't have to play them for both of those turns. I might actually be more inclined to use them for the home start against Philadelphia than the road one against Washington. So... Tread carefully here, even though it looks so good on paper in so many areas for Waskar Yanoa. Uh, Nick Pavetta also falls under the tread carefully category. We talked about him throughout the week on Fantasy Baseball in 15. And maybe as someone who was recently gombered trying to take advantage of really friendly matchups with a pitcher that has suspect skills, maybe I'm just a little more sensitive about this situation than I need to be. Um, you're in on Pavetta, relatively speaking, for this week. So what is it that gives you confidence that he can get through those matchups without uh, destroying our ratios? It's those matchups. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't have too many worries about him at home against the Tigers. Um, and I think we've talked about this on Fantasy Baseball in 15, that the, the really, you know, like with uh, Inoa, you have to worry about the home runs. With Pavetta, it's the walks. And the Tigers are very aggressive as a whole. Um, their their lineup up and down. So I think that that's a weakness that can get masked in that start. And then there's just the question of the the Orioles, who overall have been one of the worst hitting teams in the majors. But there's there's some power in that lineup. There's a park that's going to amplify that. It is in Baltimore that start. So. Um, I, I certainly don't want to go near Pavetta in my 12-teamers. There's better options. Uh, there's one in particular we still have to get to. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely considering him in 14, 15, and, and deeper. For you, though, is this still kind of a, a near-min bid, 1%, 2 maybe 3% oh, yeah. at most if you're trying to chase these wins? Yeah, because it's it's going to be a, um, you know, a, a one-week uh, deal for, for him. Um so, yeah, I'm not going to break the bank for these two starts, especially when one of them does worry me just slightly. Yeah, looking at the the underlying numbers, at least the velo for Nick Pavetta is back where it was pre-2020, kind of averaging that 94-plus on the fastball. Certainly a good sign there. He's throwing his slider a little bit more now than he used to, 28.8%. I believe that's the most he's ever used that pitch. So that's the other big sort of adjustment, I think, we don't have expectations that he's going to settle in with a good or even decent walk rate, but I also don't think he's a, a 16% walk rate guy all season either, right? Maybe right. he's a 10% walk rate guy, and you can sort of get away with that if you're not giving up home runs. You can you can do one, you can't do both. Um, so I'm cautiously optimistic like you, given the matchups for Pavetta, but I do not see him as someone that I want to have on my roster in the long run. I think after the two-start week, Looking even further ahead, he's got the Angels at home. That's a lineup I've been trying to avoid with mediocre pitching, so he's definitely off my roster after this week if Nick Pavetta even finds his way onto my roster in the first place. Uh, in a similar range, though, I think you've got Luke Weaver, who's at Miami, which is a fantastic matchup, and then at the Mets, and that's a Mets lineup that will hit eventually. It's only a matter of time. I was surprised to see Weaver is available in about 75% of CBS League's Al. Uh, but I'm also wondering if I've just got the skills estimations wrong for Luke Weaver, if I'm still getting duped by that partial 2019 season. He pitched really well but got hurt. What do you make of Weaver at this point, based on what we're seeing so far? Because at a glance, I see a lot of similarities to Nick Pavetta. Yeah, I think that's really fair. And I like these matchups too, 
you know, the Marlins in Miami, that's always a, a good one. Um, you know, Mets struggling offensively um, and, and with a couple of injuries now. Uh, but and yet, you know, I worry that maybe you pick up Weaver and he doesn't do so great in these starts. And these are not the toughest tests for him. So I'm just, yeah, I'm really wary. And uh, your your point is well taken about 2019, but I still just don't see the the run of consistency there that that gives me enough confidence to um to pick him up outside of deeper leagues. Yeah, I think I'm right there with you. I don't think I see him as like a 10 or a 12 team streamer because the skills have just been too shaky. And he's really leaning heavily on two pitches, mostly four seamer and change up right now for Luke Weaver. I'd really like to see him develop a third pitch that he can trust. I think that would give me a little more confidence in his ability to get lefties out in the long run if he could find something that worked for him in those spots in particular. Let's get to the two Royal starters who seem like they always have two start weeks. Of course, that's not actually true. The schedule will prove that. Jake Junis and Mike Miner, the matchups are home against Cleveland and home against the White Sox. Junis has been getting better results than Miner to this point, but I tend to trust Miner's skills more anytime I'm looking at them in equal matchups, which is kind of bizarre. I know Junis made a lot of changes and he's throwing a cutter now, but what do you make of these two guys with the same matchups? Oh, I'm much more interested in Junis. And, you know, my, yeah, I mean, I get your point about the comparing them and minor. Certainly he's been very steady for three, four years now. Um, so, you know, it would seem like he's just the kind of guy that's perfect for a, a two start week because he's doesn't give you quite enough for one start in, in most leagues, but you, you double him up and uh, it could be very productive. But I just think uh, I'm just really excited about what Junis has done this year with with uh, those changes that you mentioned. So I've already picked him up in in one twelve teamer. I you know in, in terms of you know twelve team appeal. When I was saying you know there's somebody out there I like better than Pavetta, it's Junis, and I was able to get Junis, so I didn't need to pick up Pavetta. And I just uh, I think you know both have floors that are a little scary, and Junis is showing the higher ceiling so far this year. And there is a bit of reason to have caution with both of them because while Cleveland overall ranks as one of the worst offenses in the majors. Uh, when I was writing my planner a few days ago, so this may have shifted a little bit, but at that point, Cleveland, if I'm remembering right, was third in ISO in the majors and third in barrel rate. So, you know, they've got power hitters in that lineup. They could do damage quickly. The overall bad numbers uh, are due to a really, really low BABIP rate that just is, looks completely out of whack. So I think that that, that offense that I think we're, you know, we can look at the results for Cleveland and, and have the, the biases, the preseason biases confirmed, but I think they're actually a much better lineup. Than we what we were expecting and that that really worries me for minor and you know a little bit for Junis. Yeah, I, I know I'm among the people that wanted them to to fail because of the Francisco Lindor trade. Yeah. Like I I just felt like a player like that should be retained and should be a building block for for a team like Cleveland. But um I agree with you. I, I think they are an offense that is underperforming its baseline right now and there will be some correction coming in the relative near future. I, that the barrel rate's a great call, especially if you're barreling up balls. Good things are eventually going to happen. Uh, again, I, I think I'm on minor over Junis. I'm interested in both. I'm kind of, I'm probably a little deeper league wise though for you. I think I'm more 15 than 12 because I, I think the White Sox scare me a bit, kind of like the Angels. Like the White Sox and Angels are two lineups that have taken a step forward this year, and I know the White Sox have been up and down, but. Maybe it's because they got Tristan McKenzie on Saturday. That's fresh on my mind right now, too, that they're starting to wake up just a little bit. 
Uh, let's talk about Eric Lauer. He's got the Phillies on the road and the Marlins on the road, and he came up and made a really good start against the Dodgers. Uh, of course, the Brewers scrambling with Brett Anderson down right now. Lauer's one of those guys, Al, that I didn't really like him that much in San Diego, but I found him useful for home starts anyway just because of the way the park plays. And ever since he became a Brewer, I've had a lot less confidence in using him for fantasy leagues because the park works against you quite a bit as a pitcher. Uh, one thing I was asking Will Salmon about, he covers the Brewers for the Athletic, was if anything was different that he saw in Lauer's first start against the Dodgers. I think I had a good chance to watch all that. And he said the changeup looked really good. And if you look at the numbers, he did throw that changeup almost 20% of the time in that start, which is up from, I think, 5% last season. So it, there is a pitch mix change. More fastballs than I expected for a guy that doesn't throw particularly hard. But we did see a little more velo on the fastball from Lauer in that first start against the Dodgers as well. Mixing in a few sliders and cutters as part of the arsenal too. What do you make of Eric Lauer given these matchups? Because I think if some of these other names we've discussed are in the conversation for a 15-team league, I think Lauer has to be in part because at Miami is such an enticing spot. Yeah, frankly, he wasn't on my radar at all because I've just still got, um, you know, what exactly what we're talking about, the specter of him just, you know, giving up gopher balls uh, at home. Uh, that's obviously not going to be the same issue in Miami, but that first start at Philadelphia really scares me. What might be kind of an interesting play, and this is, I mean, this is going really niche, but um, in, a, in a daily lineup league, might be kind of cool to like pick him up now because if he aces that start in Philadelphia, I'd feel pretty good about starting him in Miami. So it might just make, you know, again, that's a very particular type of league, but I know I play in that. A lot of people play in those kinds of leagues and that might be a, it might be a good time to get him now before he gets that nice matchup. Yeah, I think that's a good way to go. And you look back over his career, he did miss a decent number of bats during his time with the Padres. K rate for his career is up over eight per nine. Walks can be an issue for him, and home runs can be an issue for him too. It's just he's got to fix one of those flaws if he's going to stick as a starter in the long run. But I think for at least 15 team leagues, I'm strongly considering him as at least the contingency option behind a few of these other names that we've discussed today. Um, let's get to a few of the one start pitchers. Shane McClanahan should be getting a start against the Angels. I don't believe that's confirmed. And as far as we know, Luis Patino could follow him as a multi-inning option as well. So what are you doing with these two guys in mixed leagues where they're available? Because McClanahan was just ridiculous. We talked about it on Fantasy Baseball in 15. He was touching 101 with his fastball, with movement, 92-93 with the slider, had a curveball, had a split change. I mean, I was having a hard time watching Shane McClanahan and saying that he's not a, a top-five prospect in the minors among pitchers or something because how could you have stuff that good and not be more highly regarded than McClanahan has been to this point. Yeah, I don't know. But um, yeah, he poses, well, both of them, he and Patino pose uh, a real dilemma because, like you said, the start isn't confirmed for McClanahan. The roles for both are you know, fuzzy at best. And there's a tough matchup there at the Angels. But I think even if you're in a league, DVR, just like we are, a league where when you pick up a player and you have to start them that week, I think it's worth... Um, picking up McClanahan um, just based on the minor league record and what he did in that debut. Uh, and if he gives you a zero this week, he gives you a zero. I think, you know, long-term he's going to, you're going to be sad if you sat this one out this week with him. 
Patino, I really don't know. Uh, I suppose it'd be worthwhile, probably not in a league where I'd have to start him this week, but be worthwhile maybe just to put in a small, you know, two, 3% bid just to have them stashed and, and see how the Rays play that out. But I'm, I'm not super optimistic because it's the Rays. Well, I just think they have to, they have to find ways to keep those guys fresh for the end of the season because they have playoff aspirations. So that could just wreak havoc on us for these next few weeks, at least, right? Maybe we get to June or at least by July and they're both going to be getting used as regular starters. It seems like McClanahan is more likely to be used like a regular starter now, and they could still skip starts for him around the all-star break and, you know, manipulate the schedule accordingly, use off days, different things like that. So I'm definitely in on McClanahan as a shorter-term pickup. I do think a 5% range bid is probably appropriate. In Patino, as much as I believe in him long-term, there's a little bit of like a Dalton Varsho sort of problem here where it's like, well, yeah, I, I just don't feel like I'm getting enough from him right now unless I've got really deep benches. And in that case, he's probably already rostered. So uh, in on McClanahan, kind of neutral on Patino. Might use him as a contingency option just to see what happens in leagues where I can afford a stash. Uh, let's talk about Spencer Turnbull. His start this week would be home against the Twins, and I'm actually surprised Turnbull is as widely available as he is. 450 ERA, 106 whip here through three starts, 12Ks, five walks. Uh, you know, Not great results, but I also kind of believe in what we saw from him in the shortened season, a sub-4 ERA, kind of a league average whip, and a decent number of strikeouts. Am I right to have some confidence in, in Turnbull, even though I'm not necessarily excited about this matchup against the Twins? Yeah, I, I I think excited's too strong. And I feel like maybe I'm out of step with our community in a way in that because I just think that over the last couple of years that the the hype has, has – or I, the performance has not kept pace with the hype. And, yeah, this is not a great, great matchup. So – you know, if you don't have to bid too much, uh, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't, you know, stash him and maybe see how this this start goes. But I'm I'm just sort of on the fence about Turnbull. I, I just given the hype, I've I've been expecting a little bit more. And now there is a chance that with some shuffling, he will actually start against the Red Sox instead of the Twins. I don't know if that really changes. My tune a whole lot for how much I like him, but there was some unconfirmed beginning of the week schedule stuff with the Tigers that could impact Turnbull and Casey Myers, among others. If you are looking to the following week, it'd be a home start against the Royals for Turnbull. So if you have the luxury of being one week ahead, I do like that spot quite a bit more than I like either one of the possibilities between the Red Sox and the Twins for this week. Uh, let's talk about Chris Flexen for a moment. I don't think I have a whole lot of faith in him, even though... The results have not been bad so far. They've actually been pretty solid. 333 ERA, 133 whip, 21 strikeouts in 27 innings, only six walks. Texas is absolutely a team that you want to pick on. So this is all about the the matchup for me and, and less about the actual skills that Flexen brings to the table. So what kind of bid are you looking at here for a streamer with such a favorable spot? I mean, pretty small because it's the one start. Um, so I think I'm looking at about 20%. Flexen certainly like him better for this week uh, than Turnbull, but not as much long term. Yeah, I'm looking at the the matchups here, and this one could be also a little bit different than expected. It could be home against the Orioles, which is also fine for Flexen if that's the the way the matchups actually shake out for him. So doesn't really make a big difference uh, how that lines up. Beyond that, though, 
gets the Dodgers the following week, so it's going to be tough to hold him on your roster in a lot of mixed leagues for that matchup. You're still not going to want to throw him against the Dodgers uh, in that, that next start after what he has coming up this week. Uh, let's get to Edbert Alzali. I think he's starting to push his way into that shallow mixed league range, and I'm even though I'm a Brewers fan, I'm excited to see it because he's pretty fun to watch. And in terms of stuff, I think it was Eno Saris who had the numbers up earlier this week. The slider, especially for Alzali, is a well above average pitch. So he's looking more and more like he could be a possible top 60, top 75 range sort of starter consistently, which would be a nice lift, a much needed lift for that Cubs rotation. I'm already starting him in 12 teamers and yeah, that he seemed to figure it out with the slider late in 2020. And uh, yeah, I, I think he's just about there. The only problem here though, is that this week it's home against the Dodgers. So as much as you like him, do you trust them enough to use him against the Dodgers? A 12-teamer, no way. <laughs> <laughs> I might not have better options in a 15-teamer, but then again, I might. <laughs> it's definitely not in a 12-teamer. Yeah, at Cleveland is the matchup next week, so that one's a little easier to get away with in mixed leagues, even with some of the things we mentioned earlier about that Cleveland lineup possibly uh, waking up a bit. Uh, the Dodgers had Dustin May leave his start against the Brewers on Saturday. He's scheduled for an MRI, so it, I... To, I, to me, have to think he's just bound for some kind of stint on the IL, even if it's a short one. Uh, it's an arm injury, too, so that's obviously a, a concern. The, the injury was described as a shooting sensation down his arm before he left, so hopefully it was something relatively minor. But the question really is, of the Dodgers' replacement options for Dustin May, who are you most interested in? We've seen Mitch White working out of the bullpen. you got Tony Gonsolin still in the mix there. If they were to go to the alternate site and bring up a prospect, there's Josiah Gray. Uh, what are you doing with the, the Dodger starters who could end up replacing May? Well, I'm not really that interested in Mitch White. The the Just the peripherals are, are not really exciting. Uh, I think you got to give him some consideration, especially in, in deeper leagues. He's he's on the roster. He's healthy. Gonsolin is... is um, is on the IL and maybe close to a return, which is, you know, why I think he does belong in this conversation. But, um, you know, certainly like NL only, I think white is somebody that, that has to be added at this point. Um, Gray's not on the 40 man. So maybe that makes him a little bit more of a long shot. Um, I mean, still not a bad pitcher to have stashed, um, particularly in deeper leagues, but I'd say of the three Gonsolin is the one, if he's available, um, that's who I'm, I'm really interested in. Yeah, I was just looking to see what the the latest on him was. He'd thrown a 20-pitch bullpen session on Thursday. That was according to Bill Plunkett of the Orange County Register. So if he's only at 20 pitches in a bullpen session right now, we're talking about a guy that's probably not pitching that deep into a start anytime soon. So even if Gonsolin were to get that opportunity, they'd be bullpenning behind him. So I think that hurts his mixed league appeal, at least in the short term, even though long term, he might be the guy that ends up taking the most starts in the absence of May. Uh, let's talk about Cole Irvin for a moment. I don't have Cole Irvin anywhere. I have not even tried to roster Cole Irvin anywhere yet this season. Am I missing out? I mean, the ratio has been pretty good. 367 ERA, 130 whip, 25 to 4 strikeout to walk in 27 innings through five starts. Uh, am I wrong for not having more interest here? 
Uh, maybe, maybe it depends what sort of leagues, obviously you're talking about. Um, so far I only have him in AL only, and that was a pickup, like I think a day or two before opening day when it looked like he was going to get that spot. And so, uh, you know, somebody who I thought was just going to be, you know, maybe a, a, a bench arm or, um, you know, kind of back of the rotation and an AL only that that's been a nice pickup, but I have to admit 15 teamers, he's still kind of on the fringe for me, but at least he's in the discussion now. The Jays are such a right-handed team that can do so much damage too. Like that seems like a terrible spot for Irvin. Like I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm out on him for now because of the matchups, but I'm gonna take a closer look and see if there's some other appeal, perhaps for later on the season. I don't get the sense he's the kind of guy that's gonna stick on rosters in most mixed leagues. I think he is more of an AL only consideration, uh, as you suggested. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash. Or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant. Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Alice, turn our attention over to the relievers where if you're in deeper leagues, you might not have a lot of guys to get excited about. At least the first two we talk about are probably long gone if you're talking about a 15-team league or something deeper. But there still are leagues out there where Josh Stamont is available, 56% of CBS leagues. I can't believe he's still available in that many spots. And I've been skeptical of the Royals and the way they handled the bullpen throughout most of last season uh, all year. But this, to me, looks like a guy who's clearly better than the alternatives. And as Greg Jewett pointed out in coffees and clo- Coffee and Closers, they settled on Trevor Rosenthal pre-trade last season. So they did eventually hone in on one guy. And I think Stomont is doing that, and I also think he's not getting traded because he's a very good, controllable reliever who could be in Kansas City handling this role for years to come. Yeah, well, we had talked about this too on on Fantasy and Fifteen because I, at that point, I was really sort of conflicted about it because I. I actually think Scott Barlow is the best reliever in that bullpen, but I've been burned before with stubbornness and saying, well, skills always seem to win and I'm going to hold out and I'm not going to, you know, bid really big on, on Stamont, um, you know, and get involved in, in those, uh, you know, bidding wars. Uh, but you know, in this, that's something maybe a few years ago that would have made sense, but with saves, steady saves being as scarce as they are now, I think I do need to, to pay up for Josh Stamont. Um, the, the thing that 
is even more surprising to me is that Taylor Rogers is nearly as available in CBS leagues as Stamont is. And I would think he's, he seems to be the go-to guy in Minnesota at this point. So I would rather have Rogers if he's available and at least in CBS. And that's usually a pretty good indicator of what the, you know, the ratios are uh, on other platforms. And if Rogers is really nearly as available, uh, uh, whatever, you know, platform I'm playing on, uh, I'm certainly putting him first in the, uh, you know, bidding contingency list. Yeah, I, I, I think Rogers versus Stalmont's pretty interesting because I like Trevor Rogers a lot before they brought in Alex Colomay, and then that just sort of ruined everything. I think I'm Rogers over Stalmont, but those guys should both be much more heavily rostered than they are right now because they're both very good relievers who now have large shares of those saves opportunities in their respective bullpens. I think maybe the area where you could find saves in deeper leagues could be in Cincinnati. This is a recurring topic really on the Sunday show. What are you doing with the Reds bullpen? We saw Sean Doolittle get a save earlier this week. I believe TJ Antone had a save earlier this week too. And if I'm not mistaken, the Antone one, that was a one out save on Friday. So that's a a bizarre one too, right? They tried to bring in Carson Fulmer to start the inning and he let a few runners get on base. So all this to say, do you see one guy actually emerging to take the job in Cincinnati, or is this just destined to be a committee all season long? I think probably committee, um, just because you know they it's a it's a pretty deep bullpen, um, and, and there's the luxury there of of not just going with one guy. Um, you know, Doolittle can certainly you know specialize against lefties if uh, if that's the route they're going to go. So, uh, you know, that said. Um, you know, Antone, even though I don't, I don't know what to read from that one out save, uh, he's just somebody that I tried to roster, um, you know, during draft time, because at that point we really had no idea what his role was going to be. I'm still not sure what his role is going to be long-term, but at this point I'm liking the odds a lot better that that role, at least for some period is going to be closer, part-time closer maybe. And he's certainly good enough to, to maybe, um, you know, run away with that job. And I still think maybe he gets stretched out and starts at some point. I just love the skill set so much that I think it's worth it to get Antone if he's out there um, and just go for the ride, you know, whichever route it goes and whichever roles it takes him to. His game log is wild because you have the one-out save that he got last time out against the Cubs. You've got two three-plus inning performances, one of those, uh, earlier in the week against the Dodgers, it was fantastic. Three scoreless, three Ks, got the win in that spot. And you know the ratio has been great. He's got a .64 ERA and a .7 WHIP on the season through eight appearances. So, yeah, this is the classic Lima pitcher. You know, looking at the the skills and not the role, he's good enough regardless of how they're using him to be on rosters in just about all formats right now. So, I don't know if it's necessarily an endorsement of Antone as the closer, but I do think if he's available in your league, you want to think about picking him up. I think Doolittle, Doolittle was throwing a lot harder earlier this season than he had in 2020. So that gave me some hope that if he found opportunities, he might actually be able to convert them again. And I think the struggles of Amir Garrett and Lucas Sims have at least left the door open for the more veteran option in that pen to take over and at least temporarily rack up a few saves. But I'm still... I don't know if I would give more than like two to three percent of my budget for Doolittle. I mean, maybe that goes up a little bit if he gets a save on Sunday and we get some comments suggesting that he's definitely the guy, but I don't think that's going to happen. So 
I'm still looking at Sean Doolittle as more of a, a partial closer, you know, a guy that has a quarter of the share, maybe a third of the share, and that could change wildly in the next couple of days, but it's kind of a, a volatile situation for me. Yeah, and what we should remember, you know, it's good that you pointed out the the rebound in velocity. That He's just not that far removed from being one of the best relievers in the majors. So, you know, who's, who's to say he can't revert to that and do what I was saying Anton could do, which is get some opportunities and just be so good that he keeps getting more and more of them. So in a way, it just it makes it a tricky situation to kind of come full circle here that they have so many pitchers who you could see as a full-time closer that it's it's sort of hard to have confidence in any one of them getting steady saves. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, anybody else out there catching your eye from any position group? Anybody else you've thought about uh, throwing on your, your fab bid list? Uh well, uh, we, we yeah, Willie Calhoun, uh, I, I'm really liking uh, even for 12-teamers uh, because of uh, him hitting leadoff and the potential for uh, for scoring runs there for the Rangers, even though, yeah, that's not the, you know, the best lineup by any means. Um, but I'm certainly pursuing him in a couple of leagues. And I was surprised at how available Chris Taylor is, um, particularly on CBS and um, and on Yahoo!, so check, just check to see if Chris Taylor's out there. Uh, it's really kind of a head scratcher, but he really should be like in the 90, 95% um, roster range. Um, so help do that if he's out there. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe you told me there were some shallow leagues where he's still out there. I mean, 872 OPS, career high for Taylor so far, really doing all the same things he was doing a year ago, showing power, showing speed, plays pretty much every day. For that Dodgers team, and, you know, occasionally comes off the bench instead of getting a start, but you don't see many DNPs in his game long. No. So um, definitely looks like a guy that plays ninety-five plus percent of the time, and one that helps in just about every category when things are going well. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. As always, be sure to give Al a follow on Twitter at LMelkYourBB. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. And you can check out Scott Ingles' waiver wire breakdown over at The Athletic, theathletic.com slash fantasy baseball podcast. We'll get you in the door at $3.99 a month if you're not already a subscriber. For El Melchior, I'm Derek Van Riper. We are back with Under the Radar on Tuesday. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.